0: This is Cambridge Judge Business School's online knowledge centre with expert commentary, analysis, and insights into the issues of the day.
1: US and European retailers have agreed a new set of fire and safety standards for up to 2,000 Bangladeshi factories in a bid to avoid another Rana Plaza disaster. Over 1,100 people died in the fire and collapse of the textile factory in April of this year. Dr Kamal Munir has been studying Asia's textile production and says Rana Plaza was just the latest in a series of textile industry mishaps across Pakistan, India and Bangladesh. He says mishaps in the textile industry appear to have risen since 2005 when the quota system was abolished with deregulation of the trade and exports to America, the biggest market. Among the results, increased pressure on owners and workers. Dr. Munir feels textile factory owners must be monitored and scrutinized more closely. His field work, especially in Pakistan, a major source of textile products, revealed that most big buyers do audit manufacturing premises. One of the
0: prescriptions that has been coming up following the Rana Plaza disaster has been that we monitor or scrutinize our suppliers more closely. Now, I have done a lot of field work in developing countries such as uh, Pakistan, for example, uh, which is a major source of textile products. And yes, almost all big buyers have auditors going into those firms and so on. But what also happens is that many of those firms have one unit which can be audited and, um, you know, which is really, you know, quite clean, which has, uh, you know, which is which looks pretty nice uh, and so on. But lots of other units uh, which may be wholly owned or which may be subcontracted uh, out to and uh, which don't quite fit that profile. So there are ways of getting around those audits. But what we really need to get into is the core dynamic, you know, in. Um, The global uh, textile production system, which is that Western economies have been slowing down. There is greater and greater pressure on the consumer's wallet. And they have been transferring this uh, pressure on to clothing retail chains and uh, who are forced to bring prices lower. So, you know, I mean, Primark is just one name that is mentioned and, uh, you know, but there are there are many others. Now, that means that that pressure gets transferred on to the suppliers or the manufacturers in developing countries. Now, the factory owner there has a lot of pressure, uh, trans- you know, conveys that pressure on to the workers. Now, those workers, of course, in conditions of high unemployment, for example, have very little choice. And so they are... You know, working in shabbier conditions for much less, and uh, it's inevitable that we see these disasters.
1: Who is to blame? Is it is it is it the government for allowing this to go on? Is it the retailers for putting pressure on? Is it the factory owners for again turning pressure onto the workforce to work for virtually nothing in very dangerous circumstances?
0: I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh you know, point my finger at one particular company or one particular individual or, you know, sort of even entity, Uh, it's a systemic problem. The problem is that, you know, in the context of globalization, barriers are coming down, tariffs are coming down, and, you know, there is greater and greater trade. There used to be a time that the textile trade was regulated, at least all the exports to the United States, which is the biggest textile market. Um, were regulated by a quota system. In 2005, that quota system disappeared. And it was really after 2005, you know, that true globalization took place, true uh, trade deregulation took place in the textile uh, sector. And it was after 2005 that we saw, you know, sort of an increasing number of industrial disasters, which means that, you know, there was more and more pressure now on the workers and on the people uh, who owned the textile factories, because if they wanted to stay in the game, they had to lower their costs. Of course, the other problem is that, you know, I mean, one solution is that you can always uh, increase your capabilities, develop more capabilities and move up the value chain. But in a number of those countries, that requisite um, investment in human resources is not present. So the only way out for a lot of these guys to survive or to stay in the game is by lowering costs further and further. And what you see then is, you know, um, what you read in the newspapers
1: are you an advocate of turning the clock back to two thousand and five and introducing stronger regulation?
0: Well, we need stronger regulation either way, whether we you know go back to a quota system or not, but we as consumers need to be prepared to pay higher prices uh, for the products that we wear, perhaps we should wear fewer right uh, and not buy as many, uh, but at some point, you know we need to curtail. What is going on in this production system
1: Some progress has been made hasn't it in, in that area since Rana Plaza in that the uh, the Bangladeshi Fire and Building Safety Accord has been announced and and some of the manufacturers have well the retailers have been dragged to sign up to that screaming that they didn't want to so some progress is being made
0: Yes, but you also have to understand that you know the first reaction from the Bangladeshi government after this disaster was just completely isolate this as a one-off you know thing. Uh, because they know that bangladesh gets most of its um, export revenue from textiles so they don't want to shut the industry down right so they want to basically suggest to you that you know this was a one-off thing this was you know the person who owned the factory was responsible let's hold him responsible let's prosecute him and so on and so forth but what i am pointing out is that this is a systemic problem and it goes beyond that one individual it goes beyond bangladesh it goes it you know, to all the countries who are involved in this particular trade. So, yes, I mean, there are some measures that are being taken, but in my view, not enough.
1: There are a couple of issues, aren't there, relating particularly to Pakistan, where men are being fired and women are being hired.
0: That is true. That's a very interesting development. Of course, you know, we have been through that in Western countries, you know, more than 100 years ago. Um, women who are also known as the Reserve Army of Labor are being inducted into the textile uh, industry, especially in a stitching uh, role. Now, what is interesting is that a lot of it is being um, publicized as, you know, empowerment, emancipation and so on. But it has a very clear economic dimension as well, which is that prior to these women uh, coming into these stitching roles in, let's say, textile factories, Uh, men were doing the job. And men were doing the job in a slightly different way because they worked on piece rate, which means that, you know, you're paid uh, per piece that you stitch. Women are not coming in on piece rate. Piece rate, of course, affords a lot of flexibility to the worker because they can work for you. And in lean times, you know, they go off and work somewhere else. Plus, they do not have to follow certain uh, timings in the factory. They can come and finish the work, you know, uh, by the evening, and that's all you want as long as they do the work. Now, men, because of all this flexibility and because they were sometimes working for multiple uh, uh, factories, they earned up to about 15,000 rupees a month in Pakistan. Women are working on minimum wage, which is close to 8,000 rupees a month. So overall, the income to the household, uh, provided the man has not found something, you know, extremely lucrative, um, and given the economic conditions there, that's, you know, uh, not really a big possibility. And the overall income seems to have gone down.
1: Thank you very much.
0: This programme was produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series.